Loading Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Hello, everyone. Welcome to tonight's show. Uh, Today I have a really great guest. He has provided choreography for various shows, including So You Think You Can Dance, Dancing with the Stars, and NBC's Best Time Ever with Neil Patrick Harris. He has also recently choreographed the Broadway shows Hedwig and the Angry Inch and Spring Awakening. He's super talented, and he has all the moves to prove it. Spencer Liff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for that great introduction. Uh, <laughs> great to be here. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's so great to to talk to you and to meet you. Um, I love talking to choreographers, number one, because I'm super jealous. I took dance <laughs> for years, and I still can't dance. <laughs> but um, So I'm always amazed by you guys. And I um, and who doesn't like to, even if you're not a good dancer, who doesn't like to, to you know, to dance anyways. Um, but... Um, I was, you know, reading up on you today, and you started your career in one of my favorite, well, it was one of my favorite movies, and you started it out on Broadway at the age of 10 in Big, which is pretty I cool. I did. That was, that was my Broadway debut. Um, I was. I was 10 years old, and uh, I'd actually got, when I really started was I was 7 years old. I got my equity card on the first national tour of Will Rogers' Follies. So that was the that was the official start, and the first guy I ever worked with was Tommy Toon, and I you know watched in awe watching uh, Tommy work with the thirty gorgeous showgirls on stage and choreographing them, and I think that was the initial spark of wanting to do that. But but yes, my first Broadway show was with Susan Stroman choreographing, and again working in the room with someone like that so young and watching their process was a huge effect on on the trajectory of my career. But it was it was a very it was a very fun show. The kids. I recently went back and watched an illegal bootleg and couldn't believe how hard we were dancing at that age. Yeah, like, um, did, did you have, like, formal training at that point? Like, where did you oh, yeah. learn to dance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started when I actually started dancing when I was four years old. I had, my father took me to New York and we saw Cats on Broadway, and that was the complete change of my life was seeing that. I fell in love with the, the theater, the stage, and immediately enrolled. I lived in Arizona, so found the nearest dance school and enrolled in it. And then just a, you know, a few years later, my mother took me to New York and we auditioned for the, the tour of Will Rogers on the stage of the Palace Theater and they offered me the job. And, and so we decided to sell our house and go on tour. But I was then lucky to grow up in, I lived in either Los Angeles or New York working, so I was able to take and train at Broadway Dance Center and you know take from these amazing people and, you know, it takes from a variety of them as well. So I, I just got very lucky that I was able to be in a big city, dancing on Broadway and training during the day at that. That, that is amazing like that. that your parents sold their house, uprooted their lives. I mean, they really had a lot of belief in you. They did. Well, my, you know, my parents were divorced. My mother was a teacher, and she always had a sense of adventure. But I was I was very persuasive as a child and really, really wanted to, to go do this. And I think... She thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us to tour the country, and she was a teacher. So my brother and I were both homeschooled by her while we were on the road and getting to go to a different city every week. And, of course, that was back in the days when that was that was like a big national tour, and you flew everywhere, and you stayed in nice, place, nice places. And so it was it was just an incredible experience to have, and I'm, I'm very grateful that, that she 
believed in me enough and to, to sort of uproot our lives so we could all have that experience. But I think she knew even then that I was in this for the long haul and that I wanted, you know, I, I just knew at the very start that this would be my life forever. That's crazy to know. You were how old at this age? You were six, you said? I was six years old. I just, I watched movie musicals every day. I memorized every single one. I knew every song from every show tune and every step. And I, I would make up my own dances even back then. So it was just sort of, you know, and then in terms of the, the like choreographer brain, I remember, I didn't know what it meant back then, but I used to make patterns with rocks or pennies or anything I could find. I would do formations and change them around and, so it was, you know, that was just sort of my brain always works like that. So were you working throughout your childhood or did you, were you homeschooled for like your entire career or, or for your entire uh, childhood yeah. or did you go to? Mm-hmm. I never had a lull. I, I really did, was lucky enough to work constantly, mostly in the commercial world, commercial modeling and, and dance jobs. There was always a dance job for, you know, a kid around. And because I was homeschooled, you sort of get ahead. So I graduated high school when I was 15. I was still living in New York. I lived at the dorms of School of American Ballet, SAB, for a couple years of summer and some winters and trained there. Um, And then I, you know, I I hit a certain age. When you hit about 16 and you're a working actor, as soon as an 18-year-old can play your part, uh, which I had a growth spurt and looked much older for my age. So I hit about 16 and stopped working. But I had graduated high school, and in that time I went to the new school university. I went to college. I lasted in college until about the day I turned 18, and then I started working again, and I, <laughs> I dropped out. And I <laughs> actually went and joined. I jumped on a cruise ship, and I danced on a cruise ship for a year that went around the world right when I turned 18 to just sort of get get out of the city. And, and that was a great, another great life experience to sort of sail all over the world. Yeah, what cruise line? I went with Royal Caribbean, which is funny because oh, I've now gone back to Royal Caribbean and choreographed for them as on, on the other side. But I, you know, a lot of young dancers ask me if they should go to college for dance or what they should do. And, and I usually wholeheartedly tell them to go dance on a cruise ship because you get, you get so much experience. You have to dance in so many different styles in one evening and one show because they're all variety shows. And you just sort of get a chance to tiptoe into being an adult, I think, but... So for me, it was a great experience. And then I came back to New York and, and met Is it Robert a lot harder, and, though, chore- choreographing when you're on a ship? I mean, I would think, you know, it's rocking back. I've been on many cruises in my life, and when I've seen the shows, I'm always impressed that, like, they don't miss a step on that stage. And is it just something you adjust to? It was actually some of the it, hardest mm-hmm. dancing. Yeah, it was some of the hardest dancing I did, so just a level was difficult. But the, the ship sways, the ship rocks, you get used to it. There would be funny blooper reels they put together of, like, everybody would be in the middle of a double pirouette, and the ship would sway, and everyone would fall off. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we was. I mean, I that's what I said. I mean, I danced harder on that ship than I did in a, in a lot of Broadway shows. And we did flying, we did silk works and trapeze and all sorts of you know crazy crazy fun things. So I got a lot of training out there. Yeah, and then um, you know, I, I mentioned in the intro, you recently choreographed Hedwig, which is one yeah. of my favorite shows ever. How was it being involved in that? And did you work with each Hedwig? I did. There I went was like back seven and, people. Mm-hmm. and redid uh, six. I think we had six, unless I'm missing one. But yes, I, I went back and re, redid it slightly for every for every single one. Um, you know, the, the show came about from my relationship working with Neil. I had met Neil um, actually doing How I Met Your Mother. Neil was a fan of So You Think You Can Dance and knew my work from that from that show and asked if I would create a big dance number for him to do on probably season six of How I Met Your Mother. 
And so we worked, I worked with him on that. We had a great working relationship. And then I, I worked on all the Tonys that I had been Rob Ashford's associate and worked on all the Tony Award openers that Neil had done alongside of sort of choreographing then every season of How I Met Your Mother. So that relationship had budded. And when Hedwig came around, he, he knew that we worked very well together. He was very nervous about physically how he was going to pull that off. He'd never been in heels. And so we started from scratch and created that character and all the physicality of that, of that movement for him. And the show obviously turned into a big kid. And I don't think anybody knew that we would go through six headwigs and, and we, we went through them pretty fast. Everyone only did three months. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every, every months I'd be back in New York and would have a week or two of rehearsal with, with each of the guys. And, and I wanted them to each have some ownership over the role. So we really did. I did try to change you know, little things here and there to, to make it to make it really work for them. When John Cameron Mitchell came in, he said to me, he goes, I want a, I want a from scratch version. I want to go back and, and redo all of it. And and so I had the opportunity to, to really start over again. And we redid the show for John, who then unfortunately got injured a couple yeah, weeks into the run. Yeah, he got a meniscus injury. And That's the, what I the saw. the famous great mm-hmm. version of the show where he pretty much sat the whole time. And we we had to really, you know, we had to go back and, and totally rethink it for that. But at the end of the day, watching John do that role in any capacity was a thrilling experience. So then Darren Chris came in after after John, and I sort of hit the reset button. And with Darren, we went back to a very close version to, of what Neil did and sort of started, almost started over again with the choreography. It's a little bit like telephone. It changed a little bit every time. But I feel like part of the know, choreography that you have to take into account is that the huge wire that's attached to that microphone. <laughs> well, that, Having that seen was it actually so many a big times. advantage for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used it. I, I used the wire as much as I could. And then symbolically, uh, after Angry Inch, the wire is cut, and then he's wireless for the rest of the show. Whether or not you picked up on that or not, that was my Oh, my God. My you know, I didn't. He, that is so cool, though. Yeah. I love he that. He has his wire <laughs> up until that number, and then and then he's, you know, and, and then as he loses, as he loses his, Junk, he loses his wire. But um, you know, when John did the show originally, there was no microphone cord, and there was just so much that I thought of that I could do with it that I really wanted it for the beginning. But anyway, it was a cool, an amazing first experience. That night, being at the Tony Awards with everybody and being on stage and winning and and watching Neil win and Lena win, I, that was such a magical night. And you know, an interesting first Broadway show for me because it certainly wasn't. It didn't have kickball changes and turns and and what I normally do as a choreographer. It was very had to be very subtle work and very nuanced and and so it was you know I was very proud of of what we pulled off on that show because it was out of my wheelhouse. And then you re- reunited with Neil again um, recently for NBC's Best Time Ever. Um, that must have been a cool experience as well. It was. I mean, I will I will hands down say that that was it was the most challenging job I've ever had. But I I've I had the time of way. my life every every week on that show. I was well, it was the first time that I was a producer on a television show, so I was re- responsible for more than just the dance steps. It was a lot of creative ideas as well, and uh, you know we had we had the ability to basically do a big giant production number at the end of every show every week that could that needed to be completely different every week and could be literally anything we dreamed up. And that amount of freedom with somebody like Neil who really can do everything, and I rem- I remember the first. 
week, I had him learn a backflip off of a pogo stick, and that sort of set the bar really high. So every week, then NBC would come and say, well, what's his thing going to be this week? And then he was breathing fire and walking a tightrope and doing a trampoline and learning to lasso. And I mean, it just went on and on. So, so every week, I would have to think of a number, and then we would book the talent forward and figure out the song and get the costumes and hire the dancers. And then I go, and what's Neil's thing going to be this week? What's his one big wow moment that everyone's going to freak out over him learning in just two days time. And, you know, it was, it was like this amazing puzzle that we got to put together. And, and then we had, you know, a, a guest artist that came on every week to sing our karaoke competition. So one week it's Donna Summer and then we had the B-52s and then we'd have CeeLo and, and Gloria Stefan came on with, about 12 hours notice Gloria came on. So we had to hire salsa dancers and teach them a combo. And, you know, it was fast, fast paced live TV is unlike anything else. And we would air Tuesday night. You'd have the biggest adrenaline rush of your life. The, the show would turn out great. The number would happen. Neil would have blown the fire at the right time and landed the backflip. And we'd all celebrate. And you'd be back in Wednesday morning and go, well, guys, what are we going to do this week? And that, that was. <laughs> the pressure was, is on. That, yeah. It, it was just exhilarating. But the amount of it, trust that everybody had to have and, and, you know, for Neil to entrust me with that much with his show in that aspect was was just thrilling. Do you think, though, having worked on, so you think you can dance and dancing with the stars, do you think that put you, like, really well-equipped to handle, like, that kind of pressure and, like, fast change of routines and all that kind of stuff? It did. A thousand percent it did. On So You Think You Can Dance, it's very similar. We we have to create a new piece every single week. You have to top yourself every week. There's constantly, the night before you have rehearsal with So You Think You Can Dance, your song got changed because it didn't get cleared, and the prop you thought you had got taken away, and your dancers got switched. And any second that you spend thinking that that's unfair or, oh, how am I going to do this, it sort of takes a second away from just getting it done. And guess what? Your show is live, and the, the train is in motion and you will go live at eight o'clock whether or not you have something or not so you sort of just learn how to get it done i then it's you know i stepped into i did a lot of uh neil's award shows on his on my own after he did the tonys we did the emmys together which you know so that i think it was just very comfortable being in a high pressure live situation with neil and and that was you know i was very proud of what we did i'm i'm hoping that we get a second season because just in what we learned in our uh eight episodes I, I couldn't imagine how amazing we could be next year with, with knowing what we do now of how the show works. Yeah, it's a great show. I, I, anyone listening, if they haven't seen it, they should check it out. Yeah, I, I love yeah, it. It's, it's on the Hulu high now. energy and oh, good. It's on Hulu. It's just fun. It was fun for the. It was really just a family show. You could sit down. There was something for everybody. There was you know throwbacks and stuff for the modern audiences and you know just a lot of joy and a lot of fun. So to be to be creating something that truly was just meant to entertain and put a smile on, on someone's face is, is, is a really, you know, nice, is a nice thing. Sometimes like, you know, I'm sure we're, like Spring Awakening, which I have now is a much, that's, that's a, a much more thoughtful sort of in-depth piece that you're not going to walk out of with a big giant smile on your face. So it's just, it's a different entity entirely, but. Yeah. And Spring Awakening, I'm, I mean, it's, you know, it was my first Deaf West production, um, I'd never seen one before, and for people who aren't familiar it's, um, that are listening, it's uh, deaf actors on stage acting and dancing, and, and there's other people standing behind them that are singing and speaking for them. And, um, I mean, I found it, it was a beautiful production, really beautiful and really moving. And, I mean, what were the additional challenges of working with, you know, a deaf cast? Like, you can't just put on some, some music and say, hey, 
do the moves at this beat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be, you know, it's funny. That's, that's, it's always the first thing that, that you would think to ask on that. And it's it, the challengers are exactly what you would think they would be. There are there are no such things, which is very much what a choreographer gets to, to utilize. So the music wasn't, you know, half of our cast on stage can hear and is playing the music and and then also some of them are just being actors. So they're they're singing and signing and acting and they have half of the cast is, is deaf and, and is signing and acting and, and it's all one big blended cohesive look. So there is no separation. So everyone has to do the same thing. But just as something as simple as everyone's going to stand up on the one and take a step on the three ends up being so you three are going to watch her and you'll watch him and you'll see her do a tiny head nod and that's your count and you'll stand and then you'll see this actor take a deep breath and then when he exhales, we all take a step. So that rehearsing that takes an hour and that's the equivalent of in a room full of people saying five, six, seven, eight, stand on one, step on three. So it, it really was, it's a very long process. It was, it was a very much thinking out of the box process. We started two years ago with a workshop thinking we would get Michael, Michael Arden and I, the director, we'd worked together on several things. And he said to me, do you want to do something really cool and really, really challenging? And I said, yeah, why? Well, of course. And we went into this workshop. I had never signed anything. So I knew no sign language. I had never really met a deaf person or had any interaction. And so I was thrown into a rehearsal room and sort of said, here's a song choreograph this number. And I had, I just had no idea how to go about how to go about it. And we slowly learned. I was, slowly able to introduce the concept of rhythm to, to the deaf cast that didn't understand that or hadn't really ever had to do anything musical before. And I, and they taught me how to sign and together we were able to make this show. But um, it, it was just, every time we came up against a challenge that was like, okay, well, this is harder to do. Or every time we hit a wall, we turned and that created something that was more beautiful than I could have ever come up with in a, in a regular situation. Do you know what I mean by that? It was just, any time you were to think something was a disadvantage, it ended up being what the beauty of that show was. And we just, I just accepted that. And every day came into rehearsal and learned something new and fell in love, deeply in love with this cast and this show. And, and we went from workshop to extremely tiny, crappy warehouse, 99 key theater to big, beautiful theater in Beverly Hills. And then Broadway all within basically a year span. Wow. And, and did you, when but, you were working with them, did you have a translator with you? Or like for yeah, the whole time or at the beginning? Or? Room of, yeah. The, there's, mm-hmm. the team is massive. So there are three ASL masters that are, that worked with me on the, on the actual translations because it's not a literal word for word translation ASL. There was, there's so, so many metaphors in the show, so many ways to sign things. And, so they would go and come up with all the signs and they would come to me and I would look at them and, and then we would, that would be our starting point And I'd say, okay, well that's too many signs for this and that musically doesn't fit and the rhythm doesn't work there. So, so then it'd be a negotiation and I'd say, I need a new sign for this. And, and they go back in conference and come back to me with a new sign. And so that was going on. And then simultaneously we had interpreters, which would in the beginning before I could sign would of course interpret to the cast. But my assistant on the show, uh, my associate actually, she was she was deaf. So I had to learn to to sign really to communicate with her outside of her ability to, to read lips. But um you know, but even that became an advantage because when I was sitting in a dark house uh during a preview with her, I could sign notes to her, you know, very 
very slyly and sit amongst the audience members. And normally when you're giving notes in a preview, you have to whisper and you're disturbing people around you. But we actually, it was incredible to be able to communicate silently and talk to each other during the show without disturbing anybody else. When you were rehearsing a lot of times, since you were dealing with a mostly deaf cast, would you just, would you put the music on anyways or would you leave it off? Oh yeah. No, mm-hmm. we would, the music would always be on and the, the, the deaf cast can, Certainly, they they can feel vibrations. We have different levels of hearing. We have, you know, some some of our cast is completely deaf. Some of our cast is hard of hearing, which means they've got about thirty percent hearing. And some of them wear, uh, some of them have hearing aids. Some of them have the implants. So it's all it's all a different a different level. And then interestingly enough, some of them can could pick up very very high pitches, and some could pick up very low pitches. So we would all rehearse simultaneously, and our cast was actually providing the music as well. Our hearing cast, so they're rehearsing playing the music. And, you know, the deaf cast is, is rehearsing and, and you're, they would gather on the piano and they would put their hands on it and they would feel what the rhythm was and we would stamp out that rhythm with our feet and we would clap it with our hands and just so they could understand what that internally was. And then we could take the signs and put them into that rhythm. So it was just like, it's just a very patient, slow process that, um, you know, filled with 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 love and care and deep breaths and like we can we can get through this and we can do it and 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 we and we really did in the end and now we've gone back three times to to rehearse the show again and been been able to make it better every single time. Were you able to uh, go to the White House the other week when um, they performed? I was I was gutted and heartbroken in L.A. I'm actually in I I came I'm doing two shows simultaneously in L.A. at the moment and it was just physically impossible for me to get back there. So I got on my live feed and I watched it and I remember crying. I was so proud of them and Aww. and just thinking about where we had started a year before and thought about our rehearsal process in a tiny abandoned church that we got for free and we'd have to leave rehearsal so that an AA meeting could come in. And like it was just that. To seeing, to knowing a year later that that cast had been taken to Broadway and that we were invited to go perform at the White House. So it, it, was, it brought up so much emotions of just... Uh, a, Pride. I've never, I've never been so happy for a group of people, and so you know, proud to be part of that. Oh, now you've danced. I read you've danced for two different presidents. Is that right? I have. Well, I've done. I, I have. I count that. I've, I've done the Kennedy Center honors six times. So over the over the years, I danced for Bush and I've danced for Obama both several times. And they come back and they meet you during intermission at the Kennedy Center honors, which is one of my favorite jobs. You know, I still. I have I've done every award show as a dancer and now I'm making my way back through as a choreographer. But you know, out of the I've done the Oscars and the Emmys and the Grammys and the Tonys seven times, but the Kennedy Center Honors is my favorite job I think I've ever done because the mix of people that is there is so remarkable and you're dancing for a Beatle and Oprah at the same time and a president. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be overwhelming. Do you get do you get stage fright? I don't. I get like this exhilarating rush. I, you know, I. It's not stage fright because when I, I'm actually much less nervous when I dance it myself. When I, if I have control over a number and I'm going out there and responsible for it, I'm fine. I had to learn really how to let go. Watching my so you think you can dance numbers are the hardest thing that I will ever ever have done, might ever do. Sitting there so nervous for these kids that have learned this number in five hours and they're doing it and they're fighting for their lives and you want it to be good so they don't get sent home and then the judges are commenting and you have a camera shoved in your face the whole time and you're trying to smile and 
you know, it is that that's really I get so nervous. My first three seasons, I felt like I was going to vomit every single time before we went live. But that has subsided, and I've you know I've gotten gotten a little bit stronger at that. But but it's terrifying when you don't have control. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can imagine. Um, well, in addition to dancing your heart out, I need to know how does New York Magazine's hottest abs winner keep himself in shape? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have. It's funny that was. Uh, yes, that was when I was in Crybaby, and I did get. I got a lot of attention from my abs that year. Um, so I I work out twice a day. Um, I work out in the morning. I I go to Equinox. I'm a proud Equinox member, and I take all the classes there. So I'll do some sort of fun cardio type of class and and then I'll work out separately from that you know I wake up I have to wake up extra early before rehearsal I'll go after but the reason I take the classes it's funny I spend my entire day in a room telling people what to do with their bodies so for me to go into somebody else's space for an hour and get told what to do with with my body and how to how to work out or how to do something it's so incredibly like it's like my brain gets to just turn off and recharge for a second so I I enjoy that and then you know, I, I just turned 30 this year, so I did a whole, I had a big health regime change, and I, you know, I've, I've never been happier or healthier in terms of, of where I am physically. Even when I was 23, I think I'm in better shape now. So, What's your diet not like? Not so much with the carbs. Uh, yeah, not so much yeah. with the carbs, not so much <laughs> not with so much the carbs. <laughs> I, I've reduced, I've, I only drink now on the weekends, which actually, I will tell you surprisingly, is a massive thing, and soda's totally cut out of my life Um so that, you know, that's, I think the, oh, and I do lemon, uh, squeeze an entire lemon into warm water every morning, chug it as soon as you wake up, and then don't eat or drink anything else for 30 minutes, and that kickstarts your metabolism, and it also is like, it's great for your breath, it's great for your skin, so that that would be one of my little beauty shots. Uh, Ooh, I'll try lemon that. Water every morning. Um, you need to get out of bed. Go to the kitchen. I know you're also a big brunch, brunch person you're a self-proclaimed yes, king of brunch so what makes a good brunch place for you is there a specific dish you like is it the atmosphere i am a huge eggs benedict person that is like the quintessential brunch dish and if i try someplace new i will try their eggs benedict and i will judge them based on that if you also have to be able to make a good bloody mary um <laughs> you know, you need a good mimosa as well, but it's harder to mess up a mimosa than it is a Bloody Mary. Um, mm-hmm. In New York, yeah, there's a right amount of horseradish, right? <laughs> indeed, you get, there's nothing like a good bloody on a Sunday morning and some, and you know, some eggs Benedict. So that's one of my, you know, I'll have a good cheat day on a Sunday. But it's also just about, um, it's about getting to see your friends. I work a very crazy schedule, and a lot of times I won't see friends at all during the week, especially if I was, if I'm in a show. Uh, you know, or checking a show, you're just working opposite hours from everybody. So it's really, really important for me to sit together with 10 of my friends in a beautiful patio somewhere, either here in LA or, you know, I have my spots in New York and being able to catch up and, and talk and, and do a little day drinking and eating. It's, it's good for your soul. Does it ever get lonely? Do you ever find the industry lonely? Um, I, I am, I'm single. I've been single for about three years now since I've really been able to date anyone because I spend all of my time on a plane back and forth between New York and LA. And, you know, it's, it is hard sometimes in terms of like, I can't even, I don't even have a chance to really meet somebody. If I'm in New York and I'm there for three months and I meet somebody and I'm leaving in a couple of weeks, it's like, I don't want to get attached because then I'm going back to LA and then I'm maybe only here for a couple of months. And so that, yep. that part is a little frustrating. And I also, I'm not willing to 
to get sidetracked on somebody that I that is just for a fun, good time at the moment. And so I think until I get knocked off my feet by somebody that walks into my life, I it's not going to be the priority for me. Um, but there's when I walk into my into the room and do what I do what I do and spend my day creating in a room full of people, I it makes me so incredibly happy that I don't necessarily have time to to miss that. There there are some people that are my age that are really succeeding at both and I see them having the boyfriend or girlfriend and the and the career and and it's not it's you know it's not in the cards for me at the, at the moment but like I said you I think when when a person walks into my life I'll know it um but I don't find myself ever lonely I'm also really really good at like going to a nice dinner by myself if I'm in a town doing a show like I just did a show down in Laguna Beach I don't really know anybody there and you know so at night I went and I had a fabulous sushi dinner by myself and I you know had I took myself to for a walk on the beach in the morning and like I'm I'm really good at spending time alone uh, so so that helps I guess. good yeah and where do you see yourself like 10 years from now well I I've, people whose careers I sort of emulate are more in the, like, Rob Marshall world. I really, really love working on both film and TV and Broadway. Um, so, I, you know, if you're asking me career-wise where I see myself in 10 years, hopefully I'll have a, a house in L.A., I'll have a place in New York, I'll still be bi-coastal, I can do a show every season in New York, I'd be directing and choreographing that show, and then I'd be able to direct a big movie musical you know, once every couple years and and just have the freedom to have say yes and no to projects and, and innovate and in ten years who knows what our media is gonna be and what everything's changing so fast in that world, which is it's sort of exciting to be to be in the T V world right now where that medium is changing so much. But but I you know, there's hopefully that there's a partner in there somewhere and and a house full of animals, which I love, and I'm not settled down enough to be able to have animals at the moment. I want them back in my life. So I had my kitty for 19 years, so I had to put down this year, and I just haven't. Aww, I, I don't I'm see sorry. myself. And, I, you know, she was I, she was my partner in crime, and the 19 years is a long time to have with your kitty. But I, you know, I travel so much now that it's not fair, I don't think, to, to bring another animal into my life. So that's something that I would really love. Did you to bring back. your cat with you everywhere? Did you travel with her? Or? She traveled more than, than most humans ever do. Um, <laughs> she did the tours with me. And in her older years, she stayed in New York. And, and when I went back and forth, um, I had a, for years, I had a great roommate in New York who, you know, was her surrogate mother. So I stopped forcing her to go on the plane in her later teen years because I knew she hated it. But <laughs> Well, nineteen is a that's that's a remarkable for a cat. It's a she must really have been as good, and is in good cat, shape yeah. as you. <laughs> it runs in the family. <laughs> What's one thing you'd like to tell your fifteen-year-old self? To do. It sounds so cheesy. To do everything I did, I had a wide, like I I had some fun wild years in my teenage years, and you know, like I said, I graduated high school really early and went to college and I was in college at 16 in New York. And so I ran around and I did some stupid things and I'm so glad I did because I didn't have a normal childhood. I didn't run around on the playground. I, you know, so I think when I was 15, I felt a little lost that my career that I had was sort of ending and changing and, and, and I, 
I sort of acted out a little bit, but I would I would honestly go back and be like, do every single thing you did because it worked out fine and you had a really great time in your life. I sort of crammed my entire childhood into my last few years of being a teenager, and I met incredible people and all you know all that. So I don't have I don't I don't have the regrets of of that time, and I would just want to make sure that I that I didn't change anything. So it's time for a game we call Speed Through. I'm going to rapid fire 10 questions at you, and we'll try and get them out in 60 seconds. Are you ready? Oh, God, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. What did you have for breakfast today? Uh, kale salad and tuna fish. <laughs> Big, for breakfast? <laughs> Biggest yeah, pet yeah. peeve. <laughs> Biggest pet peeve? Oh God! Um, uh, flaking, canceling plans. Three things you can't live without. Um, well now my cell phone. Uh, my I would say my gym, my cell phone, and a really nice bottle of red wine. If you had a betta fish, what would you name him? Um. Oh God. Uh, do, 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 do. I would name him Hansel. <laughs> New York City or L.A.? That might be a tough one Ooh. for you. <laughs> well, it's not tough. It's just not popular. Right now it's L.A. for me. <laughs> I, I, L.A. L.A. Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Fallon. If you're going to dinner at Neil Patrick Harris's house, what do you bring? Well, oh, God. Tequila. One word that sums up your experience as a choreographer. Uh, the, I'm trying to think of something not cheesy. The, um, grat- gratifying. One way you live life to, your, to the fullest every day. I... I find a moment to recognize how incredibly happy I am every day. Oh, love that. I don't even try Boom. it just happens. Yeah. You're done. And we got we got it in a minute forty eight. It's you've beat some <laughs> other people on my show. It's still respectable. Don't worry. <laughs> I got you some of those are some of those are curveballs. I liked it. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been I've loved getting to know you. This has been really great. Absolutely. It was so much fun to talk to you. Everyone, go follow Spencer on Twitter and Instagram, and you can visit his official site at spencerliff.net, and go see Spring Awakening now. It's beautiful production, and it's on Broadway. Yes, please. We're running now till January 20-something. It's the last the, the Sunday in the 20s of January, but, but please... Please go see it. I promise you an interesting night in the theater and something that you have not seen before. Um, and uh, But, yeah, I'm at Twitter and Instagram, just at CenterList. Perfect. Good night, everyone. Let's We will see you all next week. Bye. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. 